Would you turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 10 tonight? Daniel the 10th chapter. Daniel the 10th chapter. And tonight we want to speak on a strange subject. A time when it took 21 days to get a prayer answered. Now some of us have said, may have said, well, it's taken me longer than 21 days to get a prayer answered sometimes. But we can see some perplexities and some problems that, uh, and perhaps the basic reason why prayers are delayed and hindered sometimes. As we study tonight this unusual 10th chapter of Daniel, may we pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide us in these next few moments as we study the wonderful Word of God. Speak to our hearts, and may we be mindful that the Lord has spoken to us tonight. Thank you for every visitor here. Thank you for the faithful members of this church who love you and who are willing to stand on God's faithful, precious Word. Tonight, encourage Christians and help us to lift up our visions to the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. There are 21 verses in Daniel 10. I'd like to read these. Will you follow along, please? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphus. His body also was like the barrel, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like lamps of fire and his arms and his feet in color like to polished bronze, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned to, in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, and set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, 
For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I retained, I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and, and said unto him who stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision of my, my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me straightway, there remain no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. And he strengthened me and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou why I came unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. Now this chapter of 21 verses, I believe there's a division in three sections. And I want to present this to you tonight very feebly, but from my heart. First of all, the perplexity of prayer. Secondly, the prince of Persia. And thirdly, the price of power. First of all, the perplexity of prayer. Now, get the setting where we are in the study of the book of Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was a young man when taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now he is an old man. He has been through the years and has never compromised. He has stood straight down the line. We had a view of Daniel when he was in trouble. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a strange dream and he said, I'm going to kill all the wise men and all the astrologers of Babylon if they can't tell me what I dreamed and what it meant. And when Daniel heard about it, the death knell was already being told across the land for all God's, the wise men and for, Babel, for, for Daniel and, and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. Well, they had an all-night prayer meeting. They stretched the thing before God, and God revealed this to Daniel. And without any compromise, he went before Nebuchadnezzar and said, keep your gifts for yourself, but I can tell you the dream, and I can tell you what it meant. And in the interpretation, we see a vision of that which will go to the end of the age. The most earth-shaking, the most important vision of prophecy anywhere in the Scripture is that which was revealed through Daniel. And over and over again, we see Daniel in tough places. And we see Daniel imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. One time, they passed an edict that nobody could bow before anybody, any king, but the king, the king of the land. Well, that didn't bother Daniel at all. He had been serving the Lord all these years. And he said, I'm not going to forsake him now. And he went to his room, 
facing Jerusalem. He prayed in the morning. He prayed at noon. He prayed in the evening. And the henchmen that hated Daniel were jealous of him, brought the word to the king. And without the king's pleasure, but because the king was caught in an edict of the Medes and Persians, he put Daniel in the lion's den. But God shut the mouths of the lions. And listen, when you fall on the wisdom and the power and the grace and the love of God, God will take care of you. Be not dismayed whatever betide, God will take care of you. And God knows how to shut the mouths of lions. Well, Daniel is now an old man. He has white hair. He's probably in his 90s. I like to see somebody that has served the Lord all through their years. George Mueller used to pray, Lord, 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 please keep me from being a mean old man. Why don't you pray that? Lord, don't let me become a mean old man or a mean old woman. The answer is to keep in touch with Jesus day by day by day. That's what Daniel did. And now he's an old man. And he's been disturbed. The edict had been made for God's people to go back to the land of Jerusalem. You see, Daniel lived all through that 70-year captivity. We read in last Sunday's message how he had been studying Jeremiah, and he discovered that the captivity was only be for 70 years. And so he set his face to mourn and pray over the sins of the people that God would, would lessen the captivity so the people could go back. And now the edict has gone forth to go back. But of all the thousands that went down to Babylon from Jerusalem, after the edict has been passed and Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel are over there building the city of Jerusalem again and building the temple and building the walls. Only about 50,000 people had gone back. And Daniel was hurt. And he was mourning for the sins of the people. You see what had happened? They'd gone down to Babylon and instead of being like Daniel, they became like us. When in Rome, do as Rome does. When in Babylon, do as Babylon does. And they got satisfied. And just a minority of the Jews that went into captivity ever came back to the land of promise. And that bothered Daniel. Because he looked around and saw the people of God settling as settlers in a foreign, strange land after just 70 years. And that disturbed Daniel. And he saw them in their sins, in their debauchery. Somehow they had gotten used to sin. Ladies and gentlemen, did it ever occur to you how used to sin we become? We live all around it. Some of you, godly people, when you first started working in public work, you were shocked at the cursing and profanity and the filth that you heard. But after you were in it for a while, it was just so common, you hardly even noticed it. It's like the man that lives by the railroad. He had a guest one night, 
and a train came barreling through there about midnight, and that guest woke up and jumped, and he said, what's going on? <laughs> and he woke up his, his, his host, and his host came running in there and said, what do you mean, what's wrong, what's the problem? Well, the man said, well, what's all that noise? What noise? I don't hear anything. Well, that noise, you hear it out there? Oh, he said, that's just a train. We hear it every night. I don't even notice it, nor never pay attention to it. You see, we get so used to sin all around us. Now listen, we get so used to places selling liquor that we go right in them whether they sell liquor or not. Now many of you will say, well, preacher, I don't share the conviction you have. Well, that's all right. You just listen to me a minute or two. As long as there are places in this city that do not sell liquor, I believe godly people ought to honor that. Here's Mr. X on one side of the street that sells no liquor. And here's Mr. Z on the other side of the street and he sells liquor. Mr. X does it regardless of whether he has strong convictions, whether he's a great Christian, regardless of all that, he does it at great sacrifice because I want to tell you, you can make a lot of money selling liquor. One of our men told me who ran a filling station at one time on the other side of town. He said his business was going to close. The people that ran his, his uh, filling station wanted him to close because they weren't making much money. But they said, we, you can stay open and you, we guarantee you a raise in salary and we'll make plenty of profits if you'll put beer in. He refused. But the filling stations in Bowling Green that are selling beer are making money. And you say, well, I'll tell you, I've just got to save a buck. No, you don't. Why don't you start patronizing the people that have some convictions? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? We get so used to sin all around us that we say, well, everybody does it. Everybody buys their groceries in these beer places. Everybody gets their gasoline in these beer places. And now, they want to put a betting place, a gambling den out there at Greenwood. And in a little while, the Christian conscience is going to be diluted. I, I feel like we ought to stand up. I appreciate the letter Greenwood Baptist Church wrote to the editor the other day and signed it. I think it would be good if some other churches do that. Incidentally, the deacons did it, the pastor didn't. I was really impressed by that, signed by the chairman of the deacons. Men. We ought to take stands against sin. Let people know where we stand. I don't hear very many amens tonight. But we ought to take stands against sin and not be used to it. Daniel never got used to the sin that was about him. And he prayed, oh my God, we're in the midst of sin. There's sin all around us. And God's people have settled down to live in the debauchery of it all. The perplexity of prayer. As he poured out his heart to God, he, did, he, he took three whole weeks to pray and to mourn before God and to fast before God. And it didn't seem like his prayer was being answered. He didn't know what to do about it. He was praying. Have you ever prayed and didn't get any answers to your prayers? Where is God? Doesn't God know I hurt? Doesn't God know about my problems? 
Where's God? And you pray about all kinds of things. Husbands pray about their wives, and wives pray about their husbands, and husbands and wives pray about their children. Sometimes children pray about their parents. Years and years ago, some of you may remember, I've seen mothers and dads walk down the aisle weeping, pray for my son, pray for my daughter. You know what I've seen in, la in, in recent years? Children coming, praying for their mother and daddy. I don't know when I've heard, occasionally, occasionally, some mom or dad will come pray for his son or daughter, or her son or daughter. But more often than not, kids come praying for their parents. We get perplexed. How do I know how to pray? My son's gotten on dope. My daughter's gotten involved in drugs. I've discovered my children are having premarital sex. I've discovered my daughter's in trouble. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do about it. The perplexity of prayer. I want to tell you, prayer is hard work. Prayer causes perspiration. Prayer causes a draining of the physical energies, of the spiritual energies as you're waiting before the Lord. There are lots of ways to pray. You don't have to stay on your knees day and night for three weeks to pray for three weeks. You can have a burdened heart so that everywhere you are, at work, at the office, at school, at the lathe, wherever you are, there's a burden in your heart and you're bombarding the throne of God in prayer. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. And one of the true tests of whether a person is saved or not is whether there comes prayer to his heart for the things that disturb him. He comes to God in prayer. And interestingly enough, we pray better when we're in trouble. Isn't that funny? Why is that true? When everything goes well, all we say our prayers, and we pray our pretty prayers, but when things get in trouble, and havoc comes, and problems comes, and come, and burdens come, boy, we pray. We make a beeline to God if we're saved. There's no wrong with that. I'm not criticizing that. Thank God for it. And that's what Daniel was doing. He was in trouble. The nation was in trouble. The people were in trouble. They had settled down in sin, and he was mourning before God in prayer. But he felt like saying, where is God? I don't hear any answer. I prayed three weeks ago. I prayed two weeks ago. I prayed last week. I've prayed and I've prayed. Have you ever tried praying earnestly with a burden for three weeks for the same thing? And fasting for that thing? It takes a toll in your energies, in your life. Where is God? I'm going to tell you, God's on the throne. God's where He's always been. God's Holy Spirit is abiding in the heart of the believer. But there come some hindrances to prayer. One of the most precious things we can see in this beautiful story in the 10th chapter of Daniel is why there was a prayer hindered. Now, first of all, who was this that appeared to Daniel? 
in verse 4, the 4th and 20th first of the month, I was by the side of the great river, and I lifted up mine eyes, and I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body was like the barrel, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like the lamps of light of fire, and his arms and his feet in color like polished bronze, and the voice of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Sounds like Jesus. He had appeared at other times. Many people believe this was Jesus, and it's possible. One of the theophanies. But as you study it deeply and carefully, notice that the prince of Persia withstood him, and Michael helped him, and only Daniel saw him. And I wonder, was it Jesus? Let the Holy Spirit tell your heart about that. But I want you to notice verse 10. And behold, while I was in prayer, a hand touched me. He touched me. He touched me. I like that song. He touched me. Have you ever been touched by God? When God touches you, Sometimes it's physical. I'm sure it could be. I read about that, that black lady that had prayed, and she said, oh my, I wish God would touch me. I wish God would touch me. And she had a friend that came to see her, and she, the friend prayed with her. And she kept saying, Lord, I wish you'd touch me. Lord, I wish you'd touch me. Lord, touch me. And, and that friend, in just prayer, and in reaching out in compassion, put her arm around her and began to pray. And the lady jumped up and she said, Oh God, you touched me. You touched me. I felt it. Felt just like the hand of my friend. And her friend said, Why, well, honey, that was my hand. Oh, she said, Praise God. God sent you in his place to touch me. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God touches us through other people. Sometimes when we're lonely, we're defeated, we're discouraged. We have to reach up to touch bottom. God sends an angel to us, not just a winged being, not some creature from the other world, but some angelo, some messenger of God here to touch us, aid us, strengthen us in prayer. That's the reason there's value in praying together. Lots of times I've had angels of God in this congregation pray with and for me, and I felt like it was God's touch. Behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now set. And when he had spoken the word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I came forth, and I came for thy words. In other words, because you prayed, I came. Because you prayed, I came. Don't ever think your prayers are in vain. Don't ever think, well, God, I prayed and you didn't hear me. You didn't listen. You didn't do what I asked you. Some of you in this congregation right now are praying. 
Oh, you're listening. You're here. You're looking this way. But in your heart, there's a prayer burden. There's a heart cry. Keep it up. Keep praying. God hears you. He knows what's on your soul. He knows what's on your heart. And the man said, I, I came because of your words. But, look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand. I've come to answer your prayer. Who was this prince of Persia? The prince of Persia interrupted Daniel's prayer. Old Daniel's prayer got through. Heaven heard, but when God was ready to answer, and he sent his angel to answer the prayer to speak to Daniel, for Daniel to hear God's voice. And listen, when you hear God's voice, this doesn't say that this was a human being. It doesn't even say it was a heavenly being. It says, behold, a hand touched me. I don't know whether that was something that Daniel could touch or whether he experienced it. It doesn't make any difference. When you pray, God answers, God hears, and God sends his angel. And when you have impressions in your heart and it feels like the voice of God speaking to you, who knows but what God has sent his angel to speak to you. Listen. And that angel said, why, when you began praying 21 days ago, three weeks ago, heaven heard. God's not trying to test you. He's not trying to withhold the blessings. Why, immediately, immediately God sent me forth. But oh, beloved Daniel, the prince of Persia, interrupted. The prince of Persia. Who on earth is the prince of Persia? Well, we know where Persia is today. That's where Iran is, and the prince of Iran is Khomeini. And I'm sure Khomeini has interrupted a lot of things God won't have done. Well, the prince of Persia. Isn't that interesting? Who is this? Well, I think if we study this scripture carefully, we'll have to conclude that he was an angelic ruler because it takes an angel to withstand an angel. He was a rebel angel because he withstood an angel who was manifestly God's messenger. He was the devil's angel. He was an important angel because he kept Daniel's angel three weeks from him and was only overcome when the archangel came as an ally. He was an evil spirit delegated by Satan to seek influence in the heart of the Persian king against the purpose of God. In Daniel 24, I mean Isaiah 24, verses 21 and 22, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days shall they be visited. Satan's rules minds of world leaders. 
Why was Germany so devastated? What on earth happened to Adolf Hitler? If you study him, and I made another study of him not long ago, his last days. If you study him, he seemed to have a, a brilliance and yet a tragedy all through his life. And some of the things that came to him to do, since he didn't depend on God to get them, he had to get them supernaturally, and it seems to me that he got them from the prince of Persia or the prince of Germany, from Satan himself. And beloved, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the reason we need to pray for those in authority that God will give them spiritual understanding. <clears throat> They're being bombarded by Satan's emissaries and Satan's angels. Satan jumps with glee when he sees America following a road to ruin. Why? I've heard people ignorantly say, well, America's no different from the rest of the nations. Oh, yes, she is. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not going to allow us to have judgment, because He will. There's a certain rule all the way through the Bible. It doesn't make any difference who we are. We're not above God's law. America is not above God's law. The soul that sinneth shall die. The wages of sin is death. There's judgment headed coming. But America is different because America has been God's missionary nation to the world. More missionaries have gone out from the shores of America to the regions beyond and to the nations of this world to take the glorious liberty and the gospel of Christ than any nation that ever existed on the face of the earth. And it's still true. The missionary nation of the world is America. That's the reason the devil is trying all these impish ways to do everything he can to hurt God's work in high places. Watch. In the years ahead, there will be infringements upon the church's financial power, and there will be problems, and there will be attempts to tax the church. It's already starting in some places. It'll come. We've enjoyed a liberty that's abnormal. The prince of Persia is behind it. Satan's emissaries are behind it. Well, who is Satan? Who is this monster? Do you know that when Hitler was in power in Germany, he had all the tools and all the powers to get those missiles in the air, and he was almost to the point where he had atomic missiles. And some of the great scientists of Germany defected. And one of them, a German Jew, came to America and helped America perfect the atomic bomb. Had Hitler ever gotten it, the world would be in shambles. Supernaturally, Satan tried to work to destroy the world. He's still working at it. 
Now, Satan's trying just as hard to destroy you and me. He doesn't just try with nations. He tries everywhere he can. He works on you. He especially works on believers, God's people. He tries every way. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. He tries with depression. You ever been depressed? He tries with discouragement. You ever been discouraged? The, the best tool the devil has is a discouraged Christian. What's the use? Just well throw in the towel, just well quit. It won't do any good anyway. All the efforts we've tried, they won't work. Discouragement and defeat. The devil is behind that. The prince of the power of the air. He's tried to discourage parents. He tries to discourage young married people. He tries to discourage teenagers. His plan is to move in and divide and conquer. That's his strategy. And so the prince of the power of the air interrupted Daniel's prayers. Have you prayed and you didn't seem to get answers to your prayers? Don't blame God. Remember that Satan is alive and well. And he's working day and night. And he's doing everything he can to bring down and defeat God's people. The prince of Persia. What is Satan's work? Well, just as God has his angels, so Satan has an army of angels, according to Ephesians 6. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 tell us where, where, where Satan originated. He was once the angel of light. He rebelled against God. His chief, his chief manifestation in life is rebellion. You, want, you don't want to know why your teenagers rebel? Listen, they don't rebel against you. You think they do. But what they're really rebelling is against God. And they don't know that. They don't recognize that. Listen, teen, if you have a hard time honoring your mother or daddy, you're going to have a tough time honoring God. And Satan has put it in your heart to rebel against mom and dad. Now, part of rebellion is growing up. And I think parents need to recognize the difference between rebellion and rebellion. A kid wants to grow toward adulthood. He wants to become an adult. Everybody that's on that side of 21 can hardly wait till he gets 21. Everybody that's on this side of 21 wishes he could go back to 21. It's really strange. You see, there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow and wanting to make decisions and wanting to be on your own and wanting to throw off the rules. There's nothing wrong with that because God put in you the desire toward adulthood to become your own man, your own woman. God put that there. But God also gave you a mom or dad. He gave you an understanding that there is to be a respect for authority. And he set in this universe certain authority levels, God, our nation, 
our homes, our parents, our schools, people who are in authority over us. Everybody has somebody in authority over you. And when we don't recognize that as from God, according to Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. And we want to cast all those restraints off. And we make fun of mom and dad, they're old fogies. We make fun of the school rules. We do things in secret so nobody will know about it. And we know all along that it's sin. You know what that is? That's rebellion against God. Now you don't recognize it, but that's what it is. And Satan put it in your mind to do it. A husband unfaithful to his wife. A wife unfaithful to her husband. Where did it come from? Satan is moving, doing his best to destroy authority levels. Because if he can destroy that, he can lay your honor in the dust and make you live the rest of your life with a life of regrets. Oh, see, you'll come out of that. There's going to be a day when you'll recognize mom and dad weren't so square after all. But you're going to live with a lot of regrets. The wise one is the one who can today learn something from Daniel 10 and understand that the prince of Persia is trying to hinder your relationship to God, just as he was with Daniel. He was doing everything he could to stop Daniel's pray, praying, to discourage Daniel, but Daniel hung on. He kept praying. Sometimes prayer requires fasting. Sometimes prayer has to be more intense than just little prayers at an altar or by your bedside. Sometimes whatever the condition of our body, our attitude is prayer. And we have a praying heart. Well, Daniel prayed. Now, my time is up and I want to close with this thought. We thought about the perplexity of prayer. Prayer sometimes is perplexing. We thought of the prince of Persia, who is Satan, who tries to interrupt our prayers. Have you ever noticed when you pray, your mind wanders? Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it never happened to you, did it? I won't ask you to lift your hands. Why does that happen? Satan tries to get you detached from what you're trying to accomplish. He moves in, in your mind. He's an old hand at it. He's experienced that. He knows what he's doing. But now notice the price of power. We get to the end of this chapter, and incidentally, we don't have time to get into the prophetic section of it. And we'll see that in the rest of chapters 11 and 12. What's happened is Daniel has prayed, and now God has sent his angel, and his angel is going to reveal to Daniel the things that will come to pass in the years ahead for the people of Daniel, the people of the Jews. And Daniel is so amazed that he is without strength when he sees this vision. And the vision is in chapters 11 and 12. And we'll see it. And he's so amazed. And finally in verse 20, Then said he, Knowest thou why I came unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia? 
In other words, I'm going to do battle with this devil. You can depend on it. He's not going to have his way. Daniel, you've been a man of prayer. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Daniel, you prayed. It's exciting. <laughs> now, I'm going to go back and fight with the Pers prince of, of Persia. I, you can count on me. I'll, I'll help you with the battle. And I'm when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. You're going to have to contend with something else. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. There is the price of power. He said, I'll show you what is noted in the scripture of truth. The price of power is revealed in the word of God. Listen, I know a lot of people who say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the power of God upon my life. And so they pray and they pray and they tarry and they tarry. And sometimes they get an emotional experience which is not the real McCoy. You want the real power? Get yourself imbued with the Word of God. Study it. Dig into it. Take it day by day. It's like a medicine. It'll do you good. It's like vitamins. You may not recognize how good they are for you that particular day, but they'll help you. And you read a little bit of it every day, and you study it more on some days, and you dig deeper. That angel said, I will show you what is noted in the Scripture. And you'll have power in your life. And that's exactly what happened in chapters 11 and 12. Daniel was the one man, the one man, about whom there's not one bit of criticism from God. Now, his enemies hated him. Oh, he had a lot of enemies. Anybody that stands for something in this world will be evil spoken of. There'll be enemies and they'll try to defame you and, and lay your honor in the dust. They'll do everything they can to defeat you. But Daniel, Daniel was a man nobody could say anything truthfully against. And God never criticized him at all. I like that. 